0: I enjoy the polycanon Canon so much that whenever I find something exciting in it, I put a bookmark in. You see, it's got about 25 bookmarks, and I have to write on the bookmarks what is in that section. <laughs> this is the last full day of our October 2005 session. the Satipatthana Sutta, the foundations of mindfulness. Thus have I heard, on one occasion, the Blessed One was living in the Kuru country at a town of the Kuru's named Kama There he addressed the bhikkhus, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way for the realization of nirvana, namely the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, for the purification of beings. It doesn't mean that we are sinful. It doesn't mean that we are somehow shamefully dirty. It just means that in the course of our lives, we have accumulated all kinds of stuff, like a hermit crab, it keeps sticking things onto its shell until the shell gets really covered. It turns into actually a prison for the hermit crab. It's covered with all these little bits of sand and tiny bits of shell. But then the hermit crab is trying to grow and the shell has become too small. So the hermit crab has to leave, be vulnerable be without a shell during that time and then find a larger place to live. And then it starts accumulating more sand and grains and stuff all over the shell again, decorating the shell, camouflaging itself again. And then that shell becomes too small. And once again, it has to emerge. And during that emerging time, during that transforming time, it's vulnerable we willingly sit down and begin to take off the layers of the Self. But that makes us very open and very vulnerable. So our mind is alert to any potential for trouble or danger. The mind is not our protection. The mind is very useful for figuring things out, but it is not our protection. Our protection is much, much, much bigger, more stable, more reliable. It is the truth. So this purification means to strip off what is extra, what is not needed, what was accumulated in our life of bumping around and getting stung and hurt by various things we encountered, so we slapped on a lot of band-aids and a lot of protection and now those things aren't necessary at all anymore and can be stripped away. So that's what this purification of beings means. And then it says what happens when that purification happens? For the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, So ironically, when we take off the protection, the false protection, or the temporary protection that the Self created, when we strip it away and lean back, take refuge in that great heart-mind, that huge heart-mind that we've been touching during this session, then sorrow and lamentation and pain and grief fade away, because we have complete refuge, complete solace. And this happens through the practice of the four foundations of mindfulness. These four foundations alone, these practices alone, could be our practice for our entire life. The Buddha recommended them and practiced them for his entire life. The four are, as we know, body as body, feelings as feelings, mind as mind, and mind objects as mind objects. The Buddha also says how to undertake the practice of these four foundations, to do it ardently, with energy, with determination, with full awareness, and mindfulness. But first we have to put away covetousness and grief for the world. During this time you may have found that a lot of your worries and concerns about the state of the world have faded away. But watch when you go home read newspapers or listen to the radio or watch TV how quickly they come back too. Can we maintain some perspective That war will always be with human beings, and yet, we must work for peace. Can we maintain awareness of the truth that anything could happen at any time? Our wonderful living conditions could be destroyed in an instant. by a natural disaster, by a man-made catastrophe? How would we be? Can we live knowing that impermanence is absolutely true, that any one of us could die any time, all of us could die in an instant? Can we live with equanimity and serenity knowing that the world could come to an end any time, our world as we know it. So here we find some equanimity, we find some peace, but then can we take it back into the world where it's very clear that war will be constant, popping up someplace, 50 places in the world they say, at one time. How bhikkhus does a bhikkhu abide contemplating the body as a body? He goes into the forest or the root of the tree or an empty hut and sits down, sets his body erect, folds his legs, establishes mindfulness in front of him. It's an interesting phrase, mindfulness in front of him. Uh, Throughout the scripture they talk about holding the object the object of our practice in front of us. So holding our aspiration for clarity, for mindfulness, for awakening, for enlightenment, always holding that in our awareness. Just like people do who are determined to make money, they always hold that goal in their mind, how can I make money out of this? So that goal is, has a great deal of energy held around it. Or, how can I make this person love me, if you're falling in love with someone? That goal, that person is constantly in your mind, constantly coming into your mind. It's interesting how these things invade the mind. I was telling one person, I, and I told all the residents, that when I did a session with my teacher Harada Roshi in September, my sitting was going really well and on about the third day something invaded my mind so vivid and so compelling I could not get rid of it it was really humbling because my sits are usually you know quite good and things objects that come in I can deal with but this one was just so vivid and I worked with it and worked with it I knew that it was a kind of test that I had to work with this very, very compelling mind object. I had to work with it and work with it day after day to move it aside and practice, move it aside and practice, move it aside. And it's just waiting like to jump back in as soon as I was off, off my practice. So I had to hold the ob- another object of mindfulness here because this object was just waiting to jump in. And that object was <laughs> hot crumpets with cream cheese on, and honey and almonds on top. That's what the object was. <laughs> and it came from the last session that I had done on Whidbey Island. And afterwards, Hogan and I were coming back from the session and the mind is open and pure and clear. And we stopped in Seattle at the Seattle Crumpet Shop. I, and I'd never been there before. I had crumpets that I real real crumpets that I am aware of. We had hot crumpets with whipped ricotta cheese on top and honey and almonds sprinkled on top. and so in this open, wide, open, pure mind state, in came crumpets and cream <laughs> cheese <laughs> and they somehow got stuck there <laughs> but they you know they disappeared, they submerged until I was back on Whidbey Island sitting, and I'm sitting there quite innocently, and whoop, here they came up in my clear mind, and man, they were hard to get rid of. So mind objects arise, hmm? and we have to decide, is this the mind object that I would like to focus on, or would I like to move that aside, use all the tools of practice, move that aside, and concentrate on the mind object that is the most important to me, awakening, enlightenment, clarity, open-heartedness returning again and again to the clarified wide mind so there's mindfulness of breath long breaths short breaths the turning of the breath tranquilizing the body with the breath then there's mindfulness of the inside of the body the outside of the body and then as we've done it, the, big, the larger outside of the body, the body of this room, body of the earth, body of the heavens, the forest. Then there's mindfulness of the four postures, mindfulness of standing, moving every small movement of the hand and the body. Be aware of that in detail. To be aware of moving forward, moving backwards, carrying things extending, bending, eating, drinking, consuming food. So to be aware, not just when the food is in our mouth, when all the taste sensations are very vivid, but to be aware after we eat, where is the food now? Where is the food now? Where is the food now? When do we become cornmeal and pine nuts and basil leaves? How far do basal leaves go into our body? <clears throat> to be aware when defecating, when urinating, when going to sleep, when waking up, when keeping silent. It's so hard to be aware when we wake up. When we go to sleep, the mind and body separate. The mind is off dreaming and the body is sleeping. And then we wake up in the morning, it's so hard to pull them together. That's why it really helps to do some yoga or stretching, because it begins to bring the body and the mind back together before we come to the zendo. Then all of the body parts from the top to the bottom, reviewing them. Then the the four elements or five elements. Then the contemplations on death. And then watching things come and go in the body. Not concentrating on a particular thing, but watching the arising and the vanishing of sensations, thoughts, emotions, feeling tones. Whatever comes and goes, watching them manifest and disappear. Then we did the second foundation, awareness of feeling or flavor, feeling tone, mood. And those are different ways to describe it. I like feeling tone the best. And those are called either pleasant or painful, or pleasant and not pleasant, unpleasant, positive or negative, and then neutral. And watching the feeling tones which is at first hard to do unless it's obvious, unless it's something obvious obvious that we don't like or something obvious that we do like. It's hard to see this pervasive feeling tone. Maybe the other time we can see it clearly is when we wake up in the morning and our mood is not good. We wake up in the morning and our mood is bright. That's another time to see a feeling tone. And there can be a feeling tone that can pervade a whole person's personality. People have different feeling tones to their, to their personality. Well, how does that happen? Then contemplating mind as mind. And the Buddha describes this as knowing when your mind is affected by lust and knowing when lust has been cleared away. So the example that I gave you, there was a lust for crumpets with cream cheese, with honey, with almonds, it was like such a vivid image, you know, the golden honey and the little swirls and so on. So there was lust, like, I want that crumpet just like that. So then to know when that's moved away that here's a, a mind which is unaffected by by lust. It's a mind that's, that crumpets have been cleared <laughs> out of, <laughs> or whatever the object is of our lust. He understands a mind affected by hate and a mind unaffected by hate. So to know when anger has arisen, or hatred, or irritation even, or impatience, those are all forms of aversion, when those have arisen, and when they're not there, when we're blessedly free of them. But then to know how to change from one to the other. That's what this practice offers. To know a mind affected by delusion and a mind unaffected by delusion. So to know when we're really deluded, that's so hard. The mind is so convincing. The mind's talking to us and telling us some truth about something or someone. We're absolutely convinced it's true. But to be aware, you know, this my mind often doesn't tell me the truth. Often I jump to conclusions about things and then I find I'm completely wrong. To hold the instances in which we were wrong as more important than the instances in which we were right. We often say, well, I was right that time, so I must be right now. Rather than saying, gosh, you know, I was wrong, then I could be wrong now. So to always hold that don't know mind rather than grabbing onto delusion. He understands contracted mind is contracted mind, and distracted mind is distracted mind. So to be aware when the mind is tight, small, holding onto something, grabbing it, won't let it go. And then to know expanded mind, to know the mind that's distracted, that keeps going off, and then mind that's concentrated. And then to know mind, they call it exalted mind, exalted mind, often people have these experiences during Seshin that are, could call them sacred or holy, pierced by the holy. So that's exalted mind, to know this state. And to know that it won't last. And to know when the mind is not exalted, when the mind is just groveling around in petty little concerns. To know liberated mind and unliberated mind. And then mind objects. So the mind objects that the Buddha mentions are The five hindrances, sensual desire, ill-will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, doubt. To know when those things arise in the mind, to know when they're not present. Instead of having doubt, we have faith. Instead of being afflicted with sloth and torpor, we feel alert, relaxed and alert instead of feeling sensual desire, we feel satisfied. Instead of feeling ill-will, we feel love for everything, everyone and everything. So to know these different states of heart-mind. And when the difficult ones permeate us, which they will, being human beings, to know the tools of practice to change them. we have barely touched, barely touched the Four Foundations of Mindfulness in this week. If we kept on studying, they would keep unfolding, unfolding, unfolding. The most important mind object to be aware of is thought. To know that thought, just like sensation, like sight sensation, so here is sight-sensation, sight-sensation, sight-sensation. The sound of my voice is sound-sensation, sound-sensation, sound-sensation. Here is touch-sensation, touch-sensation, touch-sensation. To know that thought is the same. To feel the arising of thought, the touch the touch quality of thought, the sound quality of thought the sight quality of thought, even the taste and the smell of thought. Thought has all of those qualities. We can feel it as a touch. Mm-hmm. It has a, a kind of weight to it. And then often it has a visual quality. We see something not with our eyes, but with the inner eye. And often it has a, a sound, like our mind is talking to us mm-hmm. in a voice, or a voices, many voices. So to be aware when thought arises that this too is a a mind object. This conference that I'm going to in Washington, D.C. called Mind Life Conference, with scientists meeting with spiritual leaders, uh, Buddhist spiritual leaders and the Dalai Lama, one of the big points, pivotal points, and most argued points, I would say, is whether the mind, whether consciousness, we would call it the mind, is a property of a human brain, like an epiphenomenon of a brain. So if you've got a brain, a human brain assembled, then out of that brain activity, chemistry and, and physics, physiology, nerve conduction, electricity, so the scientists would say, the scientists would say, if you put together the cells of a brain and a human being, and there's electricity and there's chemicals doing all the things they do in a brain, then consciousness arises. What we call the mind. Consciousness arises, consciousness of sense objects, thoughts, emotions, and so on. But the Buddhist point of view is that the mind is much bigger than each human being's mind. And that our individual minds are actually receivers of the huge mind. And we're very poor receivers. (laughs) We're very weak receivers. We get these little signals. And we don't quite hear them. When we were babies, they were very clear. Very clear. But then they get clouded over as soon as we begin thinking. Because once we're thinking, we're broadcasting. So we're not just a radio receiving this energy. We're also broadcasting out. So in addition to being poor receivers, not tuned right, and a lot of static, we're also trying to broadcast. So no wonder we can't perceive the energy, the consciousness of big mind well. So it's only when we sit down and we quiet the mind, purify the mind as we say in Buddhism, then we can begin to receive this great energy this great awareness, we can perceive it, we can open to it, it's always there. When we stop transmitting, when we stop leaking out, then it becomes clear again and we say, I've, somehow I've always known this, of course we have. Don't give in to the small mind attacks. Don't give in to the crumpets and cream cheese or whatever the object is that comes in, that it's so compelling in the mind. Think of the story of the Buddha sitting for seven days under the Bodhi tree. If you've seen the movie Little Buddha, you've seen him attacked in that, and as he's sitting under the Bodhi tree by various forces, thunder, rain, armies, and Mara. We have a Dharma school song that goes, there's old buddha sitting under the bodhi tree mind as quiet as it can be sitting like a wise old frog sitting like a bump on a log doesn't mind rain doesn't mind thunder what could bother old buddha i wonder and then the kids think of something that might bother them if they were meditating so they typically think of ice cream or Watermelon, or their brother or their sister, or tigers or lions, or snakes. Something that would bother them. What bothers us, what bothered the Buddha was called Mara, Hmm. Mara, the evil one. So Mara does all kinds of things to the Buddha to try to get the Buddha to quit sitting. But Mara is actually within us. It doesn't matter what we call it. We could call it small mind, we could call it the voices in the mind, we could call it skeptical doubt, we could call it the evil one, we could call it the devil or Satan. And in many religions this evil one, this difficult one, is portrayed as outside. But if evil is outside of us, if delusion is outside of us, is anger outside of us, if temptation is outside of us, if the source of all of our suffering is outside of us, then what do we have to do? We have to try to get rid of it, wall it off, put it in prison, put it in internment camps, bomb it. So we keep trying to put the evil somewhere else, the difficulty somewhere else, in terrorists, in Palestinians, in Israelis, In another religion or another skin color. But in Buddhism we know that the biggest problem is not outside, it is not out there. Of course there are problems in the world. The world will always be full of hurtful things and people. We cannot control that. The bodhisattvas who are working to help us become enlightened will bring us test after test obstacle after obstacle. Difficult person after difficult person. The problem is in here. The problem is in here. The Buddha laid out a very clear path for us. It is the same path that he took when he went inward to look for the cause of suffering and the solution for human (coughs) suffering. The four kinds of mindfulness is the path. It's the path that shows us the source of suffering in here and the way out in here. This feeling tone is very important, It's very subtle, but very important. I'm going to say some words and if you would close your eyes and watch the feeling tone as you hear the words. Methamphetamine freaks, George W. Bush, dewy-eyed liberals, population bomb, Saddam Hussein's sons. prostitute, Abu Garib. New York Times, Nobel Prize, National Enquirer, Dick Cheney. Ralph Nader. Hot crumpets with cream cheese. (laughs) When you were a baby, those sounds had no feeling tone. They were only sounds, no feeling tone. They caused no movement towards or against. How did those sounds acquire feeling tone? How can we disassociate them from feeling tone? This is a very important question. Can we change feeling tone? Can we change feeling tones? We've watched feeling tones change. hmm? As we've meditated, we've watched feeling tones change. Many people have mentioned that. That initially they hear a sound and the feeling tone is negative. But then when they really listen to the sound, really move into the sound, then the feeling tone changes and maybe becomes neutral or positive. So how can we change feeling tones? So again, close the eyes and watch the feeling tone as you say to yourself, The word sad, 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 so feel the feeling tone, sad, and now see if you can keep saying the word sad. and change the feeling tone, Mm -hmm. though most people will find a way to change the feeling tone. One way or another, say the word backwards, scramble the letters, just keep saying it enough, and it stops having a feeling tone. Many ways to change the feeling tone. This is freedom. The fact that we can begin to change feeling tones is freedom. Thoughts are mind objects, feeling tones associated with them are added and can be taken away or changed. If there are negative feeling tones persistently arising in our life, then they begin to feed each other and we spiral downward into anger or depression. And actually this is the one of the topics of the conference in Washington that I'm going to is treating depression with mindfulness. And it's to take the things that the mind is saying to us, these thoughts, these mind objects called thoughts, negative thoughts, and to separate from them with exactly the four foundations of mindfulness. And it's been shown now in studies that there is improvement in depression, if people are able to do this to separate from the catastrophizing mind. A monk came to visit the master of Toho Hermitage and said to him, here all alone on this mountain, if you were suddenly to meet a tiger, what would you do? The master roared like a tiger. The monk pretended to be frightened. The master roared with laughter. The monk said, you old robber. The Master said, try as you may, you can't do anything to me. So the mind conjures up a tiger, as used to happen when we were young, afraid of tigers or lions. The mind conjures up a tiger, conjures up death, conjures up sadness, grief for the world. You can run when the mind conjures up something frightening or you can become. You can enter and become. If you're free from clinging to this mind object, this self, then you're free to become anything. When your mind is free of thoughts, free of self-consciousness, When your attention is turned outwards, you can see in detail. You can see others' intentions. The master knew right away what the monk planned to do. And he beat him to it by roaring first. knew exactly what the monk planned to do. So they're playing the same game that they've watched in the mind hundreds and thousands of times when the mind conjures up something to be afraid of. Cancer! In this case, living in the forest with real tigers around. Tigers! So in modern times, terrorists! What would you do if you met a terrorist? So having practice with this, practice with this, practice with this. And instead of moving away, move in, become. The wonderful thing about this retreat is that everyone has been able to follow the steps of the Four Foundations of Mindfulness to the point of having some opening into the awareness of Big Mind. Big Mind, of course, is not its name. It has no name. It only is. You can call it whatever you want. Truth. Ground of Being. God. Original mind, original Buddha nature, it doesn't matter. It just is. Within it, everything comes and goes, but it goes nowhere. It manifests as constant flow. When we enter this stream, it picks up our life and it carries us along. This is faith. Resting in this mind is faith in mind. If we relax in it and don't struggle, it will carry us safely. Where will it take us? The mind worries. It will take us where we are needed. It will take us where we can learn and transform. It will take us to what we need and where we are needed. A monk asked Joshu, a newborn baby, is it endowed with the six senses or not? Joshu said, it's like throwing a ball into the rapids. The same monk later asked Tosu, What is the meaning of throwing a ball into the rapids? Tosu said, Nen after Nen without ceasing. Moment after moment without ceasing. All of you have experienced what he's talking about during this session. Sitting quietly, all senses open. No words in the mind. Only aware of body sensations. We're like a newborn baby lying in its bed at night, pure, pure sensation, unwounded by life. We open this awareness, sensation, 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 wider, wider, and suddenly we're in that flow of that stream of great reality flowing, 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 flowing. Is this the awareness of babies? Was it our awareness when we were a baby? Was it our awareness before we were born? We chant purifying the mind It's returning the mind. Returning the mind to its original purity. The original mind that is, our mind is originally pure. When thoughts become few and we can practice body as body, we can see ordinary things much more clearly. Colors are brighter, Small details are clear. Everything becomes crisp, as someone said. We see the thousand diamonds in the grass, every crack in the sidewalk. Everything is beautiful. A monk asked Uman, what is particle after particle samadhi? Uman answered, rice in the rice bucket, water in the pail. So please pick up your left hand, the left hand, and look at all the small details of this object, this mind object. Look at all the colors, different colors in this mind object. Look at the shadows, the bright parts and the shadows. Look at all of the lines, the edges. Now move it and watch it. Those change. Watch the colors change, the lines change. Now, while looking at this mind object with soft gaze, open the mind's awareness to the room. outside the room, as wide out as the awareness can go. If it helps, close the eyes. If it helps to expand the awareness, close the eyes. So in that big mind, how many hands How many colors, how many lines, how much movement. Which experience is true? Which experience is true? This experience of this one or this experience? of the many. When coarse and fine are seen no more, how can there be taking sides? We live most of our life on the side of the relative, on this side. The everyday everyday activities of our life, we're listening, we hear a few sounds, the obvious sounds, The ones that clamor for our attention, our baby crying, our faulty motor breaking glass. These few sounds that we're able to hear in our daily life are the truth. Seeing this hand moving, that's the truth. Then we begin to practice and the door opens to seeing and hearing things differently in finer detail, we see the detail of this mind object. We hear with the whole ear, we hear 10,000 subtle sounds, chopstick sounds, chewing sounds, dishwasher on hold sounds, fan sounds. Tea caddy sounds, stomach sounds, bowl sounds, coughing sounds, bird sounds, insect sounds, rain sounds. These 10,000 sounds are true. Then the practice opens us up to the one sound, to the one sound, the one sound. This one sound is also true. When we no longer try to choose which is true, a few sounds, many sounds, thousands of sounds, the one sound, then we're united with the truth. We are not taking sides. (coughs) We're not divided anymore. We're a unified, alive, whole being. Relative and absolute. The few sounds, the many sounds, the one sounds, all come together right here in this human being. This is the beauty of being a human being. When we, t- when we spend time in our practice, not taking sides, not taking sides, then the cause of war begins to crumble. This is the most important work a human being can do. How do we continue it? How do we continue it even after we are dead? How do we ensure that this most important work will go on? How can we leave it for others? What will we leave in the world What will be there a hundred years after we die? How will the world be changed for the better by our time in it? This is very important to consider. One of the greatest gifts that we can leave is purified mind energy. But then, how can we ensure that this is not lost, that this continues? Riku Taifu, talking to Nansen, said, so Master Nansen and Riku Taifu were walking in the garden, and Riku Taifu said, Jō Hōshi said, Heaven and Earth and I are of the same root. All things and I are the same substance. Isn't that absolutely fantastic?" So he's quoting someone else. Heaven and earth and I are of the same root. All things and I are the same substance. Isn't that fantastic, what he said? Nansen pointed to a flower in the garden and said, People these days see this flower as if in a dream. Don't be fooled by the dream. Wake up. Wake up. Keep what is most important always in front of you. Mindfulness. Body as body. Feelings as feelings. Mind objects as mind objects and mind-ground as mind-ground. When confusion or delusion arises, fuzziness, sleepiness, doubt, restlessness, return to the fundamental, return to body as body. This is the truth of this moment. Returning to body as body, we enter the Dharma gate of this moment. Entering the Dharma gate of this moment allows us to relax, to enter the flow of the stream, to be free, open, clear, loving. Thank you.